interviews and insights with the biggest names in Canadian baseball. This is the CBN Podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to the Canadian Baseball Network podcast. Uh, another great guest today, uh, backing up John Gibbons in our last episode. We have MLB.com Blue Jays reporter Keegan Matheson. Yeah, we're on a roll right now, Matt. I got to be honest. Uh, unlike the Blue Jays, um, yeah, there's there's obviously a lot of uh, frustration right now amongst uh, Jays fans. A very important stretch here as we flip the calendar to September. Um, so we're going to talk with one of the very best who does it all around baseball. Keegan, very looking forward to this. And I'm interested to talk to him a little bit about what happens away from the mic, away from the mm-hmm. camera. I think reporters really get a sense of where a team's at when they're having those side conversations, even off the record. So I'm looking forward to uh, diving into that, uh, among other things in this interview. All right, well, we're thrilled to be joined on the Canadian Baseball Network podcast by Blue Jays MLB.com reporter Keegan Matheson. Keegan, how's it going? I'm doing very well, guys. How's everyone? Good. And and live from Denver, where the Blue Jays are about to start a three-game series with the Rockies. I have to ask you a question, though. I saw on Twitter last night that you went and you had a blunt last night. I did. Um, you know, it's uh, everything I've heard of and more in Denver. It's uh, <laughs> I love it here, man. I, I'm When I'm in road cities, uh, I think a lot of my friends... Uh, who do not understand my job, which is most of my friends, uh, which makes sense, uh, think that when I'm on the road, I am doing very touristy activities that, you know, every time I'm in New York, I'm at the tip of the Empire State Building. Uh, no, my impressions of cities are pretty much uh, where I end up buying lunch and maybe the bar I find after a game. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I found this cool uh, sub shop around the corner, uh, Chiba Hut, Chiba Hut, I don't know how I'm pronouncing it, but uh yeah, the, the, the four-inch or five-inch sub was a nugget, and the 12-inch was a blunt. And the uh, the entire place was very tie-dye, and it was that theme. And uh, Kool-Aid on tap. So I'm well, sold on Denver. I am not sold on a lot of cities we travel to, but Denver might be top three now. Well, I was going to say, I'm, uh, I'm speaking to you from Brantford, Ontario. So I'm a little bit jealous, you know, just <laughs> behind Denver. Maybe I don't know if you've ever been to Brantford. Telephone city, home of the greats. Yeah, you, you have no reason to. Don't. <laughs> but anyways, yeah. But I want to ask about the Kool Aid. There's three flavors: there, grape, tropical punch, and blue raspberry. Blue, I mean, blue raz. I went tropical punch. Okay, if you said blue raspberry, I would have cut you off. And mean. it's just, uh, it's amazing. I'm in this city, and it makes so much sense that Kevin Gosman grew up here. You know, it's, everybody is as laid back and cool and collected as Kevin Gosman. It's, uh, yeah, the people are amazing. I love have, it. Have you been to Denver before? I can't even remember the last time the Jays I have not. Uh, I have not. The last time the Blue Jays were here, I was not on this trip. So it's uh, it's welcome. My last couple of trips were what? Uh, Cleveland and Cincinnati. So uh, really, I'm just happy to be out of the state of Ohio, but uh, Denver will uh, will do it. Yeah, I went to school in Alabama, and when I was driving down the state of Ohio, that is a long state to get through. It seems like it there's a lot been. of state. I, I'm sure something happened there once upon a time, but I was not there to witness it. Well, now that we got the hard-hitting questions out of the way about your <laughs> dinner last night and your Kool-Aid choice, which, again, I'm glad it wasn't blue raspberry because that's just gross. But I want to talk a little bit about, obviously, this Blue Jays team. You're around it more than anyone. What's the general feel with this club? And I don't mean necessarily what, you, what the fans see on TV. With a month left, where is this team's kind of head at? Yeah, it's interesting to see 
what's uh, what's assumed or, or or what's talked about outside and being around the team. It's I'm around them too much. I'm sure they're all sick of me at this point of the year, and uh, that makes sense. Uh, if if I had to do my job every day and then answer questions from me, I probably wouldn't like it either. But uh, the feel I get around this team is still a feeling of belief. But, of course, you've had to stretch that belief more as the year has gone on. Now, I, I think this is a team aware of its flaws, and you've started to see that come out a bit more lately. Uh, Kevin Gosman has been one who I think has been pretty pointed and pretty correct about what he's been saying about a need for more urgency. You've seen Chris Bassett talk uh, in a very interesting way about that, I think. Even John Schneider has gotten to the point where it's, yeah, still – Still a little bit of patience, still belief in the team, but uh, let's go. Hurry up. Make it happen. So I think the the team is aware that the clock is ticking. Um, you know, how the team discusses that internally is a lot different than what they say to me after they walk out of the clubhouse and speak to us, of course. But um, it's been one of the more interesting seasons I've covered and definitely, I, I think, the most <clears> – <throat> frustrating, challenging from a team perspective because for a lot of the year I've been asking who are the Blue Jays? You know, who, who is this team? I don't really know yet. Uh, they put themselves in a position to create an answer for that but so far they have been a team that is almost a lot of things. They're almost their potential. They are almost in the race. They are almost getting on that hot streak but just haven't. And I know you guys see this as well. Um, I, you know, for the sake of longevity and sanity, I try not to look at Twitter mentions too much anymore. But uh, you see it reflected in the fan base, I, I think, very much. Uh, a fan base that really wants to connect with this team. They want this team to go on a run. They want it to be that magic of 15 and 16. But I think this is a lesson on when you're at the top or when you're near the top and it doesn't go right, it sucks. <laughs> and up until this point, it's uh, – it's fun when you make a run without expectations. It's fun when you're the Mariners, when you're the Reds, maybe. that That's as good as it gets. But when you're expecting things to happen and they don't, like the Blue Jays, it sucks. And it's another thing that's interested me is, is how the conversation around expectations change. Uh, you've heard it a few times last week. Well, hey, we're playing meaningful baseball in September. Who cares? My God. Meaningful baseball was not the point of all this. The point of all this was to win the division. There are three wildcard spots now. As long as you don't give up, you got a shot. Lowering the bar to being happy with competing for the third wildcard spot, no. That's, that, doesn't, uh, that doesn't land with me. Uh, this is a team that I think is, by not competing for the division, already way below expectations. But you can salvage that. You can make people uh, forget a lot if you go on a run here, if you're the Blue Jays, and that's what they got to do. Yeah, and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head of with the fan base now in touch you are with. I've seen so many people say how frustrating this team mm. is to follow and watch because they love them. Like the fans love them. There's no doubt about that. But it's every night it's like a roller coaster. So, you know, you watch them beat the Nationals the other day, seven yeah. nothing. You know, two days before that, they're getting, you know, it's just, it's been an up and down roller coaster for sure. But again, you mentioned setting up the chance to redeem themselves. These next nine games, you know, there's a lot being talked about about these games, playing t bad teams. What do you think uh, an acceptable record as far as moving closer to a playoff spot would be 
after these nine games are done? I think you have to take seven, maybe, at this point. Going into the stretch of 15, when you go back to include the Nationals and who was before that? This is a blur Uh, at this time of year. Cleveland. Five teams that aren't exactly competitive, and now coming up with these three, with Colorado, the A's, and the Royals. They're not good teams, period. You can run into young teams trying to make something happen at this time of year, sure. But these are not good baseball teams. So I think one trick is to not sink to that level because at times in the Cleveland series and in the Washington series, it was just terrible baseball. And, you know, for me in my job, I don't care who wins. I just care about there being a good story. And, man, there wasn't even that. It was bad baseball, especially a couple of those games that – went up to the end, the one into extras, just seemed like nobody wanted to win. I mean, somebody grab this game and do something. My God. So it's about playing the Blue Jays brand of baseball. And I think that's what Bo Bichette was getting at quite a bit when he spoke about playing a fearless brand of baseball. Be fearless, be who the Blue Jays are, instead of getting stuck in a bad baseball game. It sounds easy, but we see what it looks like when it happens. And like we've seen all season, this probably is going to come down to whether or not they score some runs. The starting rotation will probably be pretty good. Uh, Are they going to wear out? We'll see. But it's all about the offense and whether they can do something. Doesn't need to be 10 runs, but something. Yeah, I think seven. And that was we Jackson and I were speaking before. So I think seven is probably the number. I know Jays fans want nine and zero, oh, but that's just not the way. Not the way this works. <laughs> no. So is it uh, Horowitz and Green for sure? Are those the additions? Horowitz and Green, and good on Chad Green. Um, finally getting back. He's had to take a bit of a long road. He had to take a ball off the head and delay himself for a while, and. Good on Spencer Horwitz, who's reaching base almost half the time in AAA. Uh, I mean, Spencer Horwitz interests the hell out of me as a hitter. And maybe because that was my weird type of player growing up. I always liked the on-base monster. I was, I was for some reason, I was a weird kid who never cared about the big power numbers, McGuire, Sosa, whatever. I, I always loved that type of player who could work counts, lead the league in walks, and... Maybe it's uh, maybe I just grew up cheap. I grew up with a money ball brain, you know. I, I was a, had a small market brain, maybe. But Spencer Horwitz, I think, uh, has deserved to be on this roster for a while. After uh, a lot of you know up and down with Nathan Lucas recently, Mason McCoy, uh, Horwitz has deserved to be here for a while, and I think deserves a an opportunity at a very big role next year. But for now. I think makes a ton of sense as a guy who can sit on the bench for three days and then pop up and give you a good at-bat because he has maybe the best plate approach in the organization. I know Alan Roden is probably in that conversation as well, but Horwitz is just such a pro at-bat and I think does fit in there very nicely, even if maybe he only takes 12 at-bats. The entire month, they might be valuable. Well, that kind of jumps to my next question is, is where does he fit in on this roster? Um, do you see him as a guy that's getting 12 at-bats a week? Do you see him as a guy, like, where does he fit in defensively? Where does he fit into the lineup? What Just get your give, get your overall thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I think going into the offseason, when you look at this team, 
Kevin Kiermeyer a free agent, Brandon Belt a free agent, Matt Chapman a free agent. Um, we'll probably end up talking about Matt Chapman the most come winter, but you need somebody to pair with Vladdy at first base into that DH. Maybe Horowitz plays the odd inning in the corner outfield. I don't see it too much, but I think he makes a lot of sense replacing Brandon Belt in, in that type of role. Those those numbers of at bats. He is a, a different guy, different style, not the same type of player, but I think makes a lot of sense in that lineup. And then by midseason, if you have someone like Alan Roden, our number seven prospect right now, you're starting to build a lineup with some real on-base guys. And I think the Blue Jays should be hitting for more power and still embracing that identity. This is another thing where they've underwhelmed and then the conversation has adjusted itself to make it sound like that was going to happen all along. No, the Blue Jays should be top five home runs. This were a, a hit and run and fielding team. No, absolutely not. Not this team. But if you can support the power bats with a few more of those real high on base guys like Horowitz, who I think can be that 370 on base guy in the big leagues and most guys can hit 20 home runs in the big leagues now. Horowitz can give you 15 or 20. That's a valuable bat. And the organization loves him, really likes the guy. It's a lot of times when – I'm trying to say this carefully. A lot of times over no, the please, years – please don't. Please don't years, say it carefully. As profane as possible. But a lot of the times when I'm getting the same question over and over and over again, why aren't they calling up this guy? A lot of times there's a reason. It's about trusting the guy, um, trusting the person, the player, everything involved. It's about so much more than looking at the stat sheet. The Blue Jays in every way really like Spencer Horowitz coming up. So I think he'll actually get that chance to step in to a job that matters. You know, he, he is kind of almost the guy I would use as the poster boy for like a Blue Jays type of hitter. Now, you see it with Alan Roden. You see it with a few recent draft picks. These walk machines, on-base monsters. And if you can develop a couple of those, put them in your lineup, man, it works. And it's a, it's a cool player type. I really love watching his at-bats. Well, I think it, I think it, it's trending towards the way the game's going too, right? Mm. I mean, you get those guys, and then you can you know have your big guys in the middle of the lineup. But speaking of prospects, I don't know if this is just my perception, but it, have you noticed maybe a little bit of a hesitation for the Blue Jays to call up some of their top prospects? You see around the baseball, different situations in the season. The Yankees are bringing up their top prospects. Baltimore's done it. Uh, Cincinnati's done it. We saw Noel V. Marte a few weeks ago. It, it seems like a general sense, you know, the guys like Martinez and Barger, has there been a little bit of hesitation there? And, and why do you think that is? I think there has been um, at this point of the year. And, and probably as we've gotten deeper into the year, that becomes more pronounced. I think David Schneider is the outlier um, based on circumstance. And then he came up and, and lit the league on fire. But when you look on the pitching side, not many options. I mean, yeah. if, if you're under 22 and can pitch, please call the Blue Jays. They, they've had a, a rough year uh, on the farm system with that in terms of their top names. Uh, you know, Ricky Tiedemann's back and rolling now, but uh, from Barriera on down, trading Roberta, it's been a tough year on the pitching side. Lower down, I really like some of the names they have coming up. You're starting to see that organizational philosophy change where they're no longer happy with guys that throw 92-mile-an-hour sinkers. They're actually trying to strike people out, finally, and it's working. And I think over the next couple of years, you're going to see a real change in the type of Blue Jays pitching prospects. 
But at the top this year, like our top 30 on MLB Pipeline, eh, still not really there. In terms of hitters, when you look at a Barger or a Martinez, and I think Martinez has more potential, Barger is a little more mature, closer to who he's really going to be along this path. There's still a lot of risk involved in those two. Still is with Schneider and Horowitz, absolutely. But when you look at Barger and Martinez right now, there's that risk you call them up and they get struck out 12 times in a row because somebody looks at something in their swing. Barger has a huge swing. We've seen Arelvis struggle with plate approach in the past. He's doing better now, but put his swing in front of a major league pitching coach, put that in front of Justin Verlander, they are going to come up with a better plan uh, than Syracuse, for example. So I think this season the Blue Jays have wanted to lean towards, the shortest way to say it, is towards safer and more predictable hitters. Because David Schneider and Spencer Horwitz, the distance between their ceiling and their floor, relatively closer. You kind of know a bit what you're getting. Whereas Aurelvis Martinez, I mean, is the ultimate example. This guy could be a star. This guy could absolutely crush, hit 40 home runs a season. Or he could be an up-and-down power bat who never establishes himself at all. Addison Barger could be a stud third baseman in the mold of what everyone wanted Brett Laurie to be, playing out of his mind, literally or figuratively at times. And power speed, he's such a fun player to watch. But... That's also a massive swing. Can he sustain it? What are major league pitchers going to do with it? So they've opted for the safer ones this year. You have seen with Schneider's upsides what a name like this can do. And I think it tracks with the Blue Jays' broader philosophy this year where they've just leaned on their guys they have, period. And – that sounds so vague. I sound like I'm, a, I'm giving myself a post-game answer. Or, well, they were rolling with the guys they have. But look at how they've used the 26th spot on the roster. Nathan very, Lucas, very Jordan Lupo. Very cliche hey, of you. I like it. It's You've terrible. Been, yeah. It's getting late in the year. Uh, <laughs> let me put on a quarter zip uh, sweater and talk about collaboration here. But uh, they've barely used whoever's at the end of the bench. We didn't see Lucas or Luplo for a long time. I remember multiple times showing up in a city like this in Tampa, in Houston, and having to ask somebody, by the way, who, who's here? Is it Lucas? Is it Lupo? We haven't seen them for a week. So if that's the case, do you want to call up an Addison Barger or Aurelvis Martinez and do that to them? Probably not. It's not that David Schneider or Spencer Horwitz are less important, but prospect rankings and potential are a thing. And guys like a, a Mason McCoy. Uh, for example, uh, when that move was announced, I read the email 10 times, wondering, is this this is what's happening? Okay, but uh, an interesting approach, but a lot of it comes down to how they've handled that 26th man, which is pretty much not using it. They're playing with a 25.1 player roster most of this season. Baseball, a carnival, and an important cause make for a great day. The Baseball Zone, in collaboration with ALS Double Play, is hosting the first annual baseball carnival, Strikeout ALS. Join their family-friendly event that'll include carnival games, food and vendors, baseball activities and competitions, helping to support an important cause, a live podcast, and entertainment. 
I look forward to seeing you on Saturday, September 9th from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the Baseball Zone, located at 1081 Bravik Place, Mississauga, Ontario. Register online at thebaseballzone.ca. Tickets will also be available at the door. All proceeds from the tickets will go to support ALS research. Let's strike out ALS. Now back to the interview. Good insight there. The thing with Martinez for me was just that power. I mean, you've talked about how, how they've been missing that. There's a little bit of intrigue there, obviously. But again, he's only 21 years old. I mean, yeah. you talk about getting up into the big leagues, you're, it's a different animal. But I want, I want to talk a little bit about John Schneider. And I don't want yep. to talk about the Kirk pinch running thing. I've, <laughs> I don't want to ever hear about that again. But you, managers get crucified often in big league baseball. So. Yeah. But you're, in your opinion, what kind of a job has he done um, with this team this year? Yeah, it's the most misunderstood job in sports. Um, it's why I'm, I think from now on, in as a BBWA member, we vote on annual awards uh, every year. I don't think I'm going to vote on manager of the year again. I think I would decline that vote because I don't know what the hell these guys do on other teams. You know, I can go to my Yankees writer, my Twins writer, and I can say, hey, what what's your guy like? What's what's Boone like? What's Baldelli like? But unless you are covering the team, it's so hard to look at another team and know who does what. So I thought of this just the other day, actually writing a, an inbox at MLB.com, and someone asked what Don Mattingly does. And I'm never sure if those questions are in a curious tone or in like a what the hell is this guy do tone. I'm assuming the latter, but that got me thinking, you know, Don Mattingly, for example, you see him on the bench. He can read the game so well. So if the Blue Jays execute a pickoff play or a set play, a back pick from Danny Jansen, a lot of the times that's Don Mattingly doing that. Then you have hitting coaches in the dugout. You see Gil Kim in there a lot of the times handling, whether it's the, you know, the in-game stuff, speaking with the replay room, a lot of the communication stuff. When you look at John Schneider, I think so much of a modern manager's job right now is misunderstood um, because if a Yusei Kikuchi is a good example, if he gets taken out after 79 pitches and he's rolling, that's not John Schneider sitting there just saying, hey, that's enough. That's a plan that they have had probably an annoying number of meetings about that week and prior to the game with pitching coaches, with analytics guys, with front office members. Everyone's involved in that, and that's all mapped out. John Schneider walks out to do it, so he's the one who gets crucified, and he's the one who gets his name trending on Twitter every day. Um, but it's a misunderstood job. It's not excusing everything. There are things like the the Kirk Pinch run I didn't agree with and some in-game management that still is a manager. It's not a puppet by any means. This is, it's uh, still directly impacts a team's success. And like I said, with managing people, I, I think how Schneider has managed a team that's struggling is as important as anything. When I go back to other managers I've covered, like uh, to John Gibbons, for example, that was a team with goodness, Bautista, Donaldson, Russ Martin, Troy Tulowitzki, David Price. Like, the per there were enough personalities to fill a country in that room. The big, big, big personalities, which 
uh, did not always mesh perfectly, let's say. Gibby knew when to get involved and when to stand back and say, hey, they've got this thing rolling on their own. Go do it. That's a real skill that I only came to appreciate seeing it up close. And that's how I judge managers a bit more now. You know, I, I've seen Schneider come up with a lot of those players. I've seen him working with new veterans. And it's uh, also a tough balance because I see how upset people get about quotes that he will give to me. You know, when he will say after a game, well, you know, we just need to get rolling tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. I assume that's not what he's saying to George Springer and Bo Bichette. I, I assume I am getting a lesser version of it, and that's cool. That's how the world works. So it's uh, a long-winded way of saying it's a tough evaluation. But I think over the next month, you are going to see what you need to see about John Schneider to make your judgment. I, I think this is the time. Uh, for me included, uh, to really see it because you're going to be managing frustrations. You're going to be managing some anxieties of players who are dealing with massive expectations that they're not meeting right now. So it's uh, it's time for something to change in the way they play. And some of that does need to come from a manager, You know, whether that's lineup stuff, whether it's in-game stuff. You need somebody to be the catalyst and – when you're not having a star performance, you don't have Vladdy doing what Julio Rodriguez is doing right now. You don't have Bo Bichette healthy. You don't have Matt Chapman healthy. A spark has to come from somewhere, and I think that has to come from something more on the managerial side with mixing up a lineup, being aggressive, I think is one good one too. Got one for you here, Keegan. Zooming out a little bit, talking big picture for a second. So we've got a month left in the season. Fangraphs currently has the Jays at making the playoffs 43.7% as of September 1st. Let's say that holds. Let's say the Jays do miss the playoffs. Now you're going to answer this question a million times in the winter if that does happen. Oh, yeah. But given Rodgers holding a top 10 payroll this year, all the renovations, everything else, where would that leave Ross Atkins? The first places you look are GM and manager. And Ross Atkins has already had John Gibbons, who they inherited, Charlie Montoyo, and now John Schneider. It's not often that you go to a fourth manager. It's not often that a GM is given that many tickets to ride down. It's kind of that hierarchy. Maybe a president might get a couple of GMs. A GM might get a couple of uh, of managers. A manager gets a couple of hitting coaches. It's a... Uh, you know, it's it's the same cruel hierarchy that exists in any business. It's just it looks a little cooler in baseball, but it's still there. The guy beneath you has to take a fall or two, and eventually it's your turn. So a lot of eyes will be on that front office if this does not work because they tried to do something this year by kind of rebranding, I guess is the word I've used the most, by moving out Teoscar and Lourdes, moving out Gabby Moreno, which was a big one, and bringing in more of a focus on defense and playing clean, tight, mistake-free baseball. Now, that idea itself, I like a lot because that's why the Rays are usually so good. They're just the team that screws up second. You know, they, they let somebody else screw up first because they play such a tight brand of baseball. But at the time and throughout the offseason, spring training, I think the way I put it was that they're, they're a different team, but I don't know if they're better or worse. But when you have gone through 
a few managers, just looking at the logistics, a few managers and a bit of an identity change, some big signings, and it's still not happening. That would, hypothetically, if they miss the playoffs, I think for the first time really put some focus, put a bit of a hot seat in that direction. And it's a uh, – when you get to that game, it's a game that goes just beyond baseball as well. It's its own little game of succession and uh, and who takes the fall for who. But uh, that will be absolutely fascinating because I think it's a situation where – I know everyone will have an opinion one side or the other on this, but I don't think it's a – absolute no doubt okay gm goes manager it's it's one where i think you see a a bit of that game played and would be really interesting because you get into the situation of an argument on both sides yeah something's got to change this team didn't look the parts change something but also you've got a huge payroll you've got lots of good players is it just another adjustment off it's you know, I'm the last hockey guy in the world, but it's not dissimilar to where the Leafs are at. You know, you've got an incredible team, but is it just one thing off or do you need to blow it up? And it's it's a very Toronto uh, disease that sports teams have, I guess. How close do you think the aging core is dramatically? I don't mean blowing it up. Mm. I mean, some of those major changes maybe in the front office, given that Bo's still under contract, Vladdy still has a few more years. So wh- where do you see that kind of trending if they are to miss the playoffs? I think it lives with those guys uh, right there. It lives with Vladdy and it lives with Bo as those guys grow up because when we talk about competitive windows, we talk about a young core, we talk about veterans. What we're talking about is money, period. And it's the way to win in MLB is, yeah, spending some cash, but you need, you absolutely need to have young talent who's performing while they are cheap. That's the part we don't say out loud at all. And I don't like it because it turns players into commodities. I don't like the sound of the language. But it's like in the NFL when you have a rookie quarterback who is helping you win for $5 million bucks instead of $42 million. bucks. You take that $37 million and you get other good players. It's so much easier. And as Vladdy and Bo get more expensive Danny Jansen will be another behind him who I I try to force myself to include in a core conversation every time because I think Jansen's a really important piece. But going forward, a lot of these contracts, when you look at Kevin Gosman with three left, uh, George Springer with three left, how will those look? A lot of it's lined up with Laddie and Bo. Now, that's why I think this offseason will tell us a lot about how this front office and about how Rogers ownership views this window. Um, Front offices don't love the term window, but who cares? It's easy. And if they go out and start signing players for beyond three, four years, if they're making big deals, okay, that's an arrow in a certain direction, but there's also a path this team can take where it's just, Hey, let's go all in the next couple of years. We've got Vladdy, we've got Bo. And as much as I know fans would like both of them to stay, um, I I cannot stress enough how attractive it must be to be a free agent <laughs> in any sport. If any of us had the guarantee of 30 people bidding on us, yes, please. Absolutely. So I, there's also a path to take where they can just really try to rock this for a couple more years. And after that, it, it gets scary because I think so much of it still, even with, Vladdy in a down year, Bo Hurt, 
I think this entire timeline is still tied to them because of the contracts that have been tied with Gosman Springer and so many others. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, you had three Kool Aid choices last night, so that that's uh, you know, you, life you is good. Me, you tell me thirty <laughs> people have never been bidden for your services. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Being the eternal optimist that you are, give Jays fans a reason to believe down the stretch and, and what you think they need to do and how realistic that is to get into the playoffs. Oh, right now, and we can you know scrub this audio when I'm wrong. Like I like I hope all this. Oh happens. no, this lives forever. <laughs> you, you know it goes all on the internet lives forever. Definitely, yeah. Let's dig up all my Alec Manoa predictions from spring training. But uh, <laughs> when right now, I still take the over. I, I still take the yes for playoffs because they are playing an absolute pillow soft schedule for the next ten days. I still believe this is a team that gets into the playoffs somehow towards the end. And the source of optimism, and again, I feel like I'm repeating what a lot of players have said, Chris Bassett yesterday, is just that the players are there. And I am a little more, I I don't even tie this to stats and numbers as much. Mine is a bit more whimsical floating around. Just, hey, the players are there and they're good. Maybe it clicks. I'm not getting into expected stats, expected numbers. Uh, I think my brain has been fried on those this year. Um, if I see another Vladimir Guerrero Jr. expected stat chart, I I, I might lose it completely. But uh, when you look at just stepping back, big picture, philosophically, the players are there. And it reminds me a lot, guys, of the 2021 uh, offense when Vladdy played out of his mind, Marcus Semyon played incredibly. That offense, if you don't get this pitching staff and defense, or sorry, this pitching staff and bullpen, starters and uh, relievers, if you don't get them to the postseason, I'm talking about that for a decade. Like that is the one I reference two years from now when they have a bad rotation saying, man, imagine that 2023 rotation. Seven years from now, when a bullpen melts down in August and they miss the playoffs, I'm saying, man, oh, man, remember that 2023 bullpen, the best we've seen in a long time in Toronto that just didn't make it. You have to do it. It's These things don't happen. You don't get five veteran starters who all have excellent years in their 30s all that often. You've got to capitalize. They have the talent. And it's uh, I've said 100 times this year, put the Blue Jays – on a sheet of paper next to the Mariners roster, for example, and ask your casual baseball fan buddy who they recognize more of, Blue Jays, 10 out of 10. They have the names, they have the talent, they have the name brand. It's just got to happen. And I know it's been a while. I know you've heard it'll happen soon a million times, but maybe there is still a soon out there, despite uh, the many reasons they've given you not to believe it. Yeah, I always say you don't realize a bullpen until it's bad. Um, exactly. Now you, yeah. now you finally have a good one. Um, yeah, it would be a shame. And then obviously the starters too, but you know, bullpen. I just listened to yeah. the, the complaint about this bullpen for yeah. decades. They so. don't last forever either. The same bullpen could suck next year. It's how yeah. relievers work. So man, yeah. you gotta do it when you can do it. Speaking of which, talking about the rotation, talking about Alec Manoa briefly there, um, talking about a guy who's just had a season from hell. Where does he go from here? You know, his what does his offseason look like? And what kind of projection can we talk about for next season? 
I think he's probably the most interesting player on this roster right now. Not in a good way, in a bad way. But that is whether this ends in a disaster or they make the playoffs. Whenever the offseason comes, that's probably my number one question. It's not what do you do with Matt Chapman. There's You either sign him or you find another third baseman. Easy. But I don't know who Alec Manoa is right now. And that's a very strange place to be. Uh, how the past, speaking of first questions, my first question today will be what's going on now with him? It's been three weeks since he was optioned. Uh, what's going on? I, I know that he was in Toronto for 11, 12 days. The Blue Jays told us uh, going through some tests, making sure he was healthy. But if a starting pitcher tomorrow, today, tomorrow, next week, shakes their arm, grabs their oblique, Manoa's not there is even the number six right now. I don't know what's going on there. That's a really strange spot. So I think if I were betting right now, and there's not even a favorite on the board, there's a million ways this can go. Maybe Manoa is a bit of a back end, hope you can eat some innings while you rebuild him next year. Or do you need to go out and spend 16 million bucks on a pitcher? That's how much the answer to this question is going to cost the Blue Jays. You know, is, is Manoa the guy you can rely on for a couple million bucks? Or is his failure adding 10 or 20 million bucks to your payroll next year? It, really tough spot. Um, if he comes back, that'll be a hell of a comeback story to write. But there's just a lot of arrows pointing in either a bad direction or a very mysterious direction right now. And... When a player is struggling, I have learned that mystery is usually not a good thing. One last question. I lied. I have one more question before Hit we me. let you go. <laughs> Speaking of Manoa, is this more, is in your opinion, what you've seen, is this more of a Yusei Kikuchi, Jose Barrios-ish like, type situation or an Aaron Sanchez type situation where he might just fall completely off the map? Yeah, I, I, the risk is definitely the latter because last year – Comparing those three, Rios was like never really off. He wasn't taking guys' heads off. He didn't look terrible. But when he missed, it was just in the real wrong place. He got rocked. Yusei Kikuchi uh, did look terrible at times last year. Credit to him for a bounce-back season I did not see coming. Full credit to him. But last year, Kikuchi and Rios both, it was a different experience, different wording, used about those guys and in both situations obviously there's always a mental aspect mental and physical overlap a lot but I got the impression that it was more about fixing the delivery and you're good to go um never was it discussed let's uh spend 11 days doing tests on this guy and then have him disappear for another week or two this is very unique what's happening right now and I think you know, when I look back through this season, all the times I've spoken to Alec post-game uh, or between starts, I think back, I believe it was in Tampa uh, after a start when he said he, that he was, uh, I forget the exact quote, but you know, trying, instead of throwing strikes, he was trying to not throw a ball. And that was the moment for me that I said, okay, that's what's going on. That's what it is. Because if it's a grip thing, if it's a, a delivery, an arm slot location, you can figure that out. But when you have a guy thinking that much on the mound, and listen, when Alec Manoa is trying to think about balls and strikes, that's his bread and butter, pounding the zone. 
the moment he said that, I changed how I thought about all of this, I, I think. And it's it's clearly something where there is a mental component to it. And that's okay. That's There's a mental component to all of these. But I think this one is a little more pronounced and maybe a bit different than what we saw last year, which, uh, again, enters, enters another unknown factor into this. And in baseball, we like knowing everything. So that's uh, another thing that's not great. Yeah, well, I want to end on the positive, but when there, I know you're busy. Give up to head to the ballpark. <laughs> Uh, thanks so much for doing this Keegan we really appreciate it absolutely guys anytime I appreciate it very much that was a great conversation Jackson a lot of insight um, you know for someone that's so close to the team you really opened up about kind of what what the mindset of, of the Blue Jays is going down the stretcher I think it's I think what you know, if you're a fan of the Jays, you listen, I, I think you'll, you'll get a sense of, I don't know if it's relief, but just like um, more of an understanding. Like you said, Matt, you know, he's pulling back the curtain a little bit. I think it's a good reminder that the manager, he, we had a good discussion there about managers and kind of what do managers do? And I really liked when he talked about how you don't really know what a manager does until you actually cover the team this close. You know what I mean? And I think it goes for a lot of fans, you know, maybe when something does happen on the field, a decision is made, it might not be uh, all Schneider, you know what I mean? Sitting there making the decision by himself. I, I definitely think that that nuance is so important nowadays. You see it on social media all the time. He mentioned it himself. Schneider's name is always trending. So um, I really, I really enjoyed that little factoid. And I think it's important to to provide, especially at a very emotional time of year. Yeah, and it's funny, you know, I I, I was going to say, it always seems like on Schneider's post-game press conferences, it's Keegan asking the first question. Yeah. Uh, so he's right in there and obviously has a great insight on this team. But I think it's important to to discuss that Schneider-Atkins, you know, dynamic going mm -hmm. forward. Because personally, I think they take way more crap than they maybe should. I think yeah. a lot of this should fall on the players, you know, if they don't, the way they're played and if they don't make the playoffs. But again, uh, someone has to take the fall for it if they don't make it. We're not there yet, so don't lose hope. I still think this team makes the playoffs. Uh, but it's interesting to get a perspective from someone that's there every day, uh, you know, essentially three, 162 games a year. I love how he referenced Succession-like, you know what I mean? Because if you've seen the show Succession, it's about loosely based on the Murdoch family who runs Fox. It's about, you know, all kinds of backstabbing and, and it's based on a media family, but it could relate to a lot of different other fields as well. And um, yeah, I, I obviously I'm sure it's not quite that dramatic, although maybe it is, who knows? But yeah, and you're right, Matt, like it's a big organization. Right. Like it, how much can fall on the shoulders of Atkins and Schneider? And I think that's a conversation that, look, I represent when I asked him, like, we're going to have a lot of conversations about that very topic ad nauseum if they miss the playoffs. But you're absolutely right with this should fall on the players at the same time. Rogers has spent a lot of money on this team. Um, you know, they have he, he mentioned Vladdy and Bo, how the window is closing. Right. They're getting more and more expensive. So as the pressure rises, does do both of those guys find themselves on the hot seat? At the very least, Matt, it's going to be very, very fascinating to witness. Well, and I think that's the thing for me, too. It, just because I say sit here and say I think it falls the majority on the players, because I think it does. John Schneider, mm -hmm. Ross Atkins, they don't go out there and hit. They don't go out there and get make bad base running decisions. They don't make it. They don't make the errors. Um, but that doesn't mean they're free of any criticism they still play a, a certainly a part in this but i think it's important his keegan's perspective about 
you know, kind of that dynamic is really important to understand and not something necessarily that fans always think about or hear about, read about, or see. The biggest thing for me too is like, it's so easy to say, oh, we'll just fire Schneider. Oh, fire Atkins. And that's kind of what I like. There's got to be more nuance to the conversation in any level that you have, whether you're talking about and, and whatever sport, right? Like he mentioned the Leafs. The Leafs, yeah, they're in a similar position, although it's a little different salary cap and things like that. But yeah, like the the especially in a situation like the Jays, who are owned by a large telecom who also owns the network that covers the games. And that not that they're necessarily should be uh decisions made based on that but it's definitely again something to think about and it adds a lot of layers to what could be a very dramatic offseason well it's funny I, you know i've started to see especially after, again I, I i said i didn't want to talk about that kirk base running thing <laughs> anymore and i don't but after that happened you start to see kind of that oh don mattingly you know is he the next manager well and we talked about this in the preview uh episode that we did i don't think that's why he was brought in i still don't think that's why he's here he's a great baseball mind no doubt about it but go ask Marlins fans at the end of his tenure there what they thought of Don Mattingly as a manager. You know, yeah. it's probably a, a pretty negative perception. Um, I think that's just the nature of the job. Um, but I, again, we're gonna it's gonna be very interesting to follow this team down the stretch, hopefully into a long playoff run and then a very interesting offseason. So that's a wrap on this episode of the Canadian Baseball Network podcast. We appreciate you listening and we appreciate Keegan taking the time. Uh, we're looking forward to getting a ton of more exciting guests. So um, until next time, take care. Thank you for listening. Be sure to check out Canadian Baseball Network for extensive and comprehensive coverage of the latest in Canadian baseball. And The Baseball Zone, Canada's leading instructional baseball academy and training home to thousands of MLB, pro, college, and youth baseball players.